Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Spike Cohen. Spike runs youarethepower.net, an organization that helps to protect local citizens from their government. That's my description, not the official description, but of course, Spike was the 2020 vice presidential candidate on the the libertarian ticket alongside Joe Jorgensen. Since that time, he has really been a great advocate for what I would call anarcho-libertarian ideas and spreading the message and highlighting certain situations that need to be looked into and helping many people across the country. And as he says in the episode, his organization is actually growing into other countries. Really appreciate Spike coming on the show. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by returning guest. We have Spike Cohen is on the line with me today. Spike, how are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Doing very well. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, just yeah. as a reminder to everyone, I started the Kelly Patrick Show in 2017, MMA podcast, jujitsu type hobbyist type uh, conversations. And come 2020, we had, of course, a, a, a significant uh, event in our country that shut a lot of things down, and it opened my eyes politically. Prior to that, I was a standard run-of-the-mill Republican. I think I was. I never had a problem with like weed or anything, so I guess maybe I leaned a little libertarian. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. But I had never really put much thought into it, and I'm 40 years old now. So, I mean, what? I, I was 36, 37 years old when that happened, and so I was pretty old, and I didn't even know much about the, the Libertarian Party or the existence. I, I just didn't pay attention, and my eyes have since been opened uh, to so many great great um, ideas regarding this philosophy, which I would describe as anarcho-libertarianism. Spike, you were one of the first guys that came onto my radar. You were, of course, the running mate with Joe Jorgensen in 2020. And I was fortunate that I, I was able to start chatting with you on occasion, and you articulate the, what I, once again, anarcho-libertarian stances, as well as anyone so that's my story, Spike. You've played a big role in it. I think this is the, I don't know, seventh or eighth time you've come on the show. I really appreciate everything that you do. Tell our listeners, what is it you spend the majority of your time doing? We are the power. Tell us about what you do, Spike. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Kelly. And it's funny because your, your story is very similar to mine. Mine was a little bit more accelerated. I, too, consider myself a somewhat 
uh, run-of-the-mill conservative Republican type who also didn't really care about weed uh, and didn't and honestly didn't care about you know when the debates were raging about gay marriage and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't care what adults do. Like, I, why is the government even getting involved in something like? Why, why is this any of my business? And and it was weird because I thought that just made me you know uh, kind of a moderate Republican. Well, it turned out it was nothing like that. I was a libertarian and, and didn't really you know have that that name for it yet. Um, but yeah, so the majority of the the time. Uh, that I'm spending now is on my organization, You Are the Power. And, uh, you know, the the shorthand of what we do is um, we find people who are being abused by their local governments, uh, everything from eminent domain abuse, where the government's just straight up stealing property from people, um, to, uh, you know, zoning uh, code abuse where, you know, someone will, uh, have a, a trailer on their property and the, and the, the, the county tries to steal their land for having the trailer or something like that. Uh, you know, all sorts of different things like that. We find people that are being abused by their local governments and we help organize, uh, them and their, and their communities to fight back and, and get the respect that they deserve. And we organize our growing network nationwide, nationwide network of members to help them in that. And uh, with each of these, as we grow it, we're showing people not just that our ideas work, but we show them why they work. And instead of just trying to, you know, argue with them about the libertarian philosophy or, or, you know, the ideas behind the non-aggression principle or, you know, the idea of having small limited government or anything like that, we actually show them. We show them the harm that's being caused by the status quo. And we contrast that with the solutions that we're presenting. And it's it's been incredibly fulfilling work. We've been doing it for, we launched officially last May uh, after a few months of, of taking on some test causes. Um, we launched officially in May. Uh, we now have close to 3,000 members across the country. Um, we are uh, organized in every region of the country. We're opening up chapters in other countries now. You Are the Power Australia is coming soon. Uh, and uh, it's it's just incredible what we've been able to do in a relatively short period of time. I try to get my guests to get their plugs in early, middle, and, and toward the <laughs> right. end. First thing. So I don't forget. Yes. So, so tell our <laughs> listeners, how can they learn more about You Are the Power, um, and how can they also follow and support and learn more about you? Yes, I also make sure to get my plugs in early and often. Hey, Spike, how are you doing? I'm great. You are the power is the organization, yes, yes. organization I work. Yeah, so um, if you want to find out more, uh, you can go to youarethepower.net. Uh, you can become a member today if you want to. Membership is free. We'd love to have you be a part of it. Um, we are on, uh, well, I'm on all social media, but my uh, but you are the power is on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and X. I keep trying to call it Twitter. Uh, with more to come, it is at YATP official on all three of those. Uh, but if you follow my social media, you'll you'll get a, a a pretty healthy, almost daily dose of what we're doing at You Are the Power as well. Spike, we're recording the episode today, Thursday, September fourteenth, twenty twenty three. Um, the Republican primaries, the debates, the first debate at least took place. Uh, the Democratic process is underway for the Democratic Party. Of course, it's starting to shape into, I guess, a, a, a train wreck of a campaign again for both sides, as it seems to be the case. <laughs> um, so I do have questions for you, Spike, about your thoughts sure. on the Republican and the Democratic side of the presidential race. However, I want to start with, I'm a libertarian. In 2020, I voted for you and Joe Jorgensen. Proud to have. I was waiting and looking forward to hearing who the who the, the libertarian candidate would be for president this time. I have said for months, I thought it would either be yourself, Spike, or Dave Smith. Dave mm -hmm. Smith announced, uh, I don't know, a week or a couple weeks ago that he had decided yep. not to run. And then per yes. uh, 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 one of my sources, someone told me, someone connected within like the Mises caucus, Spike Cohen also made the decision he didn't want to run. Is that accurate? I've made no, I've, yeah, I've made no decision. Uh, I haven't ruled it out. Uh, ultimately it comes down to how I can best help the Liberty movement. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I haven't, I haven't ruled it out. Now I want to be clear on something when I'm saying I haven't ruled it out. I'm saying just that this isn't some like political calculation where I've already decided I'm going to do it and I'm waiting for the right time. Or whatever. If I decide I'm running, 
you will know shortly after I've, I've told my close, my wife and closest loved ones and started putting together the team. I'm not going to be coy about it. Um, and if I decide that I'm not going to run same thing there, I'm really weighing my options here. And it really comes down to, um, you know, like I said, you are the power is growing rapidly and doing incredible things. And I have to look at the potential that I can do to help the Liberty movement, uh, running for president and the potential that I can do to help the Liberty movement, uh, uh, continuing and staying the course, course where I am with you or the power, you or the power is going to survive past 2024 either way. The question is, is it better for me to stay where I am and, and, and stay, you know, as the, the head of this, or is it better for me to put a, for lack of a better word, a placeholder team in place to make sure you or the power keeps reaching its goals and sort of put that aside for roughly a year, give or take, while I run for, you know, while I would run for president. And I really, there are many smaller questions that are a part of answering that bigger question. And so it's it's something that I am, you know, seriously considering. Uh, I have not ruled it out, um, but I also haven't ruled it in either. I haven't, you know, I really haven't decided. Once again, it's September of 2023. What type of a, I mean, when would a decision like that worst case scenario have to be made by? Well, technically, the, I could I could wait all the way until, uh, you know, towards the end of May, right before the uh, the official nomination process happens. I do not see a scenario in which I would do that. I think that would be torture for everyone for me to hold on until the very last second to say whether or not I'm doing it. I, I really don't foresee a scenario in, w- in which I would do that. Um, but I mean, ultimately, I could I could decide um you know, any time between now and May, really, I personally don't have a much of a timeline for when I would decide because in that early time, it would really come down to two things. One is, you know, getting name recognition within the the delegates that would make the decision. I already have that. Um, and then two would be getting my name out to the public, uh, you know, in, in terms of them knowing who I am for when I'm running. And I'm doing that through my work with you or the power every bit as much as I would be doing if I were running for the nomination. So it, it's, again, I wouldn't, I'm not going to be waiting until the last minute to do it, but in terms of timing, I, I really don't have a timeline. It would be any time between, you know, and it could be any time between now and, and, and May. But like I said, it's, it is really, I, I'm not, it's less about the timeline as much as the, once I've determined where my best place is between now and, and through next basically next year or through next November, I'll be letting everyone know. Okay. I have seen a couple polls floating around the internet and it looks like what is up for, I don't even know. You, you, I, I see something, I don't even know exactly what's going on. So I'm kind of asking you, Spike, is like the Mises caucus trying to endorse someone or do we know anything about any of that? Do you have any, any description of what's, what this process looks like? Yeah, so um, the uh, there's a, a man by the name of Michael Rechtenwald, uh, who is a a professor, uh, and he's with the Mises Institute. Um, I don't know if he's the official endorsed. I believe he's the official endorsed candidate of the Mises Caucus, but don't quote me on that because I may be wrong. I do know that he is affiliated with the Mises Institute and the Mises Caucus, and that he's running. Uh, but I may be incorrect, and he may not actually be their their official, uh, you know, endorsed candidate or nominee or whatever. Um, but he he decided to run. I guess he announced back in uh, a couple weeks ago, shortly after uh, Dave announced that he was not going to be running. Um, when it comes to the, I guess, quote, other side, uh, which would be the the classical liberal caucus, um, uh, Chase Oliver. I don't. I don't think they've officially endorsed anyone either. But he's kind of been the de facto uh, classical liberal caucus candidate. And then there are uh, other candidates: uh, Lars Mapstead. Uh, it's it's funny because I'm talking about these. All of these people are friends of mine that I'm referencing. But uh, Lars Mapstead, uh, who is a, um, a Silicon Valley startup guy, he uh, he he was a, a part of um, Friend Finder and some other startups. And uh, he's been very heavily involved in the party. Mike Termott is a, a retired police officer and a uh, and an economist. He's running as well. Uh, Jacob Hornberger, who was the uh, Mises Caucus candidate in 2020, um, he's running again. 
Um, but I don't believe he's seeking the the Mises nomination or endorsement. Um, so there's, uh, I feel like I'm forgetting. Oh, Josh Smith is is running. He was the uh, uh, he was the chair uh, or the vice chair of the Libertarian Party um, before he stepped down uh, early this year. I think in January of this year. Um, so I believe I don't. Someone's going to get mad at me because I probably forgot someone in all of that. But uh, it's yeah, it's uh, uh, Mike Termott, Michael Rechtenwald, Josh Smith, Chase Oliver, Lars Mapstead. And so I I feel like I'm forgetting someone and someone's going to get mad at me. But anyway, the, those are the the main people that are running right now. And without being too specific and also giving you, of course, the chance to speak for yourself, are there any of the candidates that you mentioned or that have been mentioned that you really disagree with? You're like, I, that guy's not a libertarian or I don't even see, you know, is there anything going on like that? Or for the most part, what I heard, even Chase Oliver, who of course would be more to the... Um, to the, I would, from in my words, in Kelly Patrick's words, would be more to the left, whereas the Mises Caucus would be more to the right. Chase Oliver still makes a lot of sense. Like, it doesn't, you know, doesn't sound like someone who would, like, embarrass everything, I don't think. What are your thoughts on the candidates? Right. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I would say I wouldn't really qualify any of them as being on the left as much as some might be more, uh, I guess, socially... Uh, progressive or something like that but not like you know when i think left and right i think more along the lines of economics and they're all you know right libertarians when it comes to you know economic stuff um you know this is sort of the interesting thing within uh the libertarian party if you compared any of those candidates running to just a you know a mainstream republican or democrat the republicans and democrats are going to be far closer on policy than any of those libertarians would be to them and yet, you know, we argue with each other constantly over who should be the nominee. Um, and most of the differences have little to do with actual policy, although there are some differences, but they have more to do with the strategy of, you know, how to move the party forward, what the focus should be. Should we be focusing more on messaging? Should we be focusing more on getting candidates elected? Um, you know, what what is the the what the main focus should be? Um, you know, uh, how should we be messaging liberty? Who should our primary, uh, you know, groups are that be that we should be reaching out to and stuff like that. So things that really don't have much to do with like political policies as much as they do like the strategy of the party and the, and the way to, you know, move forward on that. There is some policy difference, but I mean, I don't really look at it. And it's very rare that I look at a libertarian candidate and say, well, he's not really a libertarian or she's not really a libertarian. I, I don't really think that's the case in any of these. It's really going to come down. If, if these end up being the, the, the only candidates that are running, or if anyone else jumps in, it's probably going to come down to people deciding who they think is going to be the most effective in that role more so than I agree with this person's policies and not this one's. It's got to be a very unique decision to be putting thought into, especially for someone like you, Spike. Four years ago, around this time, you didn't know that you were going to be the vice presidential candidate, right, at this time? I didn't even know I was running at this time. Okay, okay. In 2019, I had no idea I was even going to run. Yeah. Okay, so then you, you got to sit uh, uh, with a pretty good seat to see the Joe Jorgensen campaign. Of course, you're a part, you know, you're a part of it. Um, so you get to see someone who, who does get to become the libertarian presidential candidate. Then they go through the process. I don't know if in hindsight, Joe today, if she would say she regrets doing that or, you know, or if she's proud of her time doing that, I, you know, I don't know, but I can yeah. imagine you have a very unique uh, perspective on the entirety of this process, because uh, even if you get to I mean, no offense to you or any other candidate, even if you get the Libertarian nomination, you're not going to win the presidential race. Oh, the likelihood is, yeah, it's basically 0% chance, yeah. Yes, yeah. so what, it, it turns into, and I know I'm drilling in on this specific topic, Spike, but what what types of, uh, what types of thoughts are going through your mind with a, a decision such as this? Yeah, like I said, it really comes down to and, and I, I do have the perspective of having run for the, you know, run for vice president in the general election and also seeing the person who was running in the, as the, you know, at the top of the ticket, uh, I will say at least until she kind of stopped running uh, towards the end of September. Uh, but, but prior to that, 
um, you know, I saw that as well. And so I have to look at that and think, okay, that's how much attention that got. That's how much of an impact that made. That's how many people we were able to reach with that. Now compare that to what I'm doing with you or the power, which is going to be able to, you know, bear more fruit. And, um, you know, it, 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 it really is at this point, you know, looking at, at that, at, you know, going back and forth on that, it's, it's been a hard question to answer for me. I assumed when I launched last year, I thought, you know, either you or the power is really going to take off and it's going to be a no brainer that I should just stay where I am. Uh, or it's maybe not going to do that well. And it's a no brainer that I should be doing something else. Um, and, and neither of those things has happened. It has, it has absolutely taken off. Uh, but I'm not sure I can, I can rule out the, the potential that comes from running for in a, in a, for a national race. Um, like I said, it's, it's something that, uh, that I am, uh, spending more and more time thinking about, um, a lot of people are surprised to know that I I have only in recent months been seriously considering it. I think I think there were some people who thought I've been scheming on this for quite some time. It's never anything that I've actually sought to do, um, and I frankly I didn't really seek to. I didn't ever expect to get the nomination to run for vice president. I, I did it assuming they'd pick someone else and it would just be an opportunity for me to talk about some of the things I thought we could be doing differently. I apparently sold my thoughts very well because they then made me the nominee. But, um, you know, so it, it really isn't, you know, this isn't a check off on the bucket list or, you know, something that I've really always wanted to do. It's really going to come down to, is this how I best think that I can be of service to, uh, not, not just the party, but really the greater movement. You are the power.net, of course, focuses more so on the local stories, right? Actually getting into the local communities uh, all across yep. the country. You said even Australia. Um, whereas the presidential election is gets a lot more attention, right? Uh, libertarians, like, I mean, I'm talking, I'm only asking you questions right now about the presidential election. Who's going to be the president? Who's going to be the vice president? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all. How much more important is you are the power.net and what they do than a, I guess that's what you're weighing right now, right? Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, the problem is it's an apples and oranges thing, right? Like one is uh, trying to basically run a, a national messaging slash vanguard campaign to you know demonstrate uh what we believe as a party what our contrast is between you know from from the republicans and democrats and also to try to highlight our you know much more electable down ballot races that you know people that actually do win their races you know city council races county races uh, sheriffs mayors things like that um and even the occasional state legislator um so it certainly has use uh and it certainly gets a lot of attention um but I can tell you this, um, you know, if we're talking just attention, um, the causes that I've worked on on You Are the Power, the, the, the videos and some of the content we put out about those causes has gotten tens of millions of views in just the past few months, um, far more than I ever got, you know, running for vice president. And so it's not to say that if I was running for president, I wouldn't also have those big opportunities, but you know, where at first blush, it might seem like, Oh, if you're just focusing on local things, you're not going to get as much attention as you would be in a national race. That's not necessarily the case. And it, and it really hasn't been for me. I mean, the, people, when they hear about these things happening in towns that often resemble their own or, or nearby where they are, it hits them every bit as hard as talking about some national or international thing. I mean, when I, when I'll, uh, you know, highlight a, uh, a city council, trying to throw people in jail for feeding homeless people because they spent tens of millions of dollars on this central location for all the homeless people to come to to get food but it's miles away from where they live from where the homeless people are living so they can't possibly you know wander through uh, uh, residential neighborhoods every day to, to get food and and you know create all the problems that would come from that so they just kind of stay put where they are and people come out and feed them and because the city doesn't want to admit that they wasted all this money they're threatening to arrest people for feeding them when you tell that story to people that really connects with people is that as impactful as talking about you know our policies on you know the war in Ukraine or something uh, possibly not. 
uh, but or I, I guess probably you know on on the national or international scale, it's not. Uh, but a uh, that's not what people's attention isn't gotten by its relative impact to them. It's gotten by what you know how much it matters to them. And b we actually have the ability to affect that first thing. We're not in a position to do anything about the war in Ukraine other than message about it right now. But we've been able to effectively stop a lot of really bad, abusive local governments from doing some terrible things. And we've helped get those communities organized around making sure they never do anything like that again and getting them exposed to the the ideas of libertarianism and, and get them adopted and adapted into libertarianism. So, you know, it, it. but again, it is it is truly an apples and oranges thing to try to compare them. So any decision I make, it's going to be based on at least somewhat of a subjective analysis on which one is uh, is going to be more impactful. Okay. Yeah, very fascinating. I am proud to say I will not vote for a Republican or a Democrat for president. Um, I made that decision, I guess, about four years ago when I really realized, you know, what was going on with our national debt. And I had my epiphany type moment. You said earlier, Spike, that was kind of a similar path, although yours was, I think, a little earlier in life. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you kind of have a a moment where you're like, okay, I'm not voting Republican ever again. I'm, I'm libertarian, anarcho-libertarian to the best of my ability from this point forward. Did you have that moment? And when was that? Yeah, I, I did. I'm not sure if it was a moment or kind of a series of moments that led to that overall realization. But yeah, I um, back in 2001, I was 19 years old. 9-11 happened. I was, uh, you know, as horrified and, and worried as every other normal person was in the country at the time. And, um, you know, I had no real perspective on what led us to, to being there uh, or what led, you know, 9-11 to happen or, you know, the history that led up to that. So when the go- when every single figure in the government and the media all told me that it was because we were just so darn free and the terrorists hated us for our freedoms, I, I believed it. You know, I didn't have that perspective. I, I didn't know any better. And and so I bought into it when I was told that we had to immediately invade Afghanistan. Okay, we had to immediately invade Afghanistan. And when I was told we had to then invade Iraq, okay, well, then we had to invade Iraq. And when I was told that, you know, we had to suspend civil liberties here and, you know, uh, allow for, uh, you know, uh, warrantless uh, surveillance and wiretapping here, okay, well, then I guess we got to do that too. When I was told that, you know, we were probably going to have to invade some other countries and bomb and destabilize them and replace them with puppet leaders okay fine that's what we got to do and i i you know i went along with it and i went along with it and along the way there were always uh these very annoying libertarians who i agreed with on just about everything else you know i i had always considered myself somewhat small government i had a you know i I started my first small business when i was 16 i never liked the fact that i was punished for being even moderately successful. It seemed like, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm helping, you know, create jobs. I'm helping create value and you punish me for it. It's like, I'm being fined for this. I hate it. And you know, the regulations and everything else. So I was never a big fan of the government in general and the libertarians when it came to government regulations and taxes and, and, and even some of the social stuff like, you know, gay marriage or, or drugs or whatever, you know, I agree. And, and certainly with being, you know, second amendment absolutists and free speech absolutists, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. And when they go, yeah. And that's why you should oppose the American empire. And, and, you know, American imperialism. And I'm like, wait a second. No, but, you know, it's because we're free and we got to fight, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and it was actually, you know, a lot of people, their person was Ron Paul. Ron Paul was definitely uh, influential and impactful in my decision. But the, the main guy for me was a guy named Matt Kibbe, uh, who is still very active. Matt Kibbe um, with Free the People. Um, back then, he, had a, he was part of a group called Freedom Works. And I ended up on his email list. I'd probably signed some Second Amendment petition or something. And um, he would send these emails out, these Freedom Works emails, and he would talk about, you know, why the war in Iraq was bad, and he'd make predictions about what was going to happen, and you know that it was going to turn out they were lying to us all along, and that there were no WMDs, and that they probably were lying about Afghanistan too, and you know that all, all, all these different things. And you know, really, do you not know the history of you know what led to so much anger at the U.S. and the Middle East and Operation Ajax and all these things? And and I used to get so angry, and over time I got angrier and angrier as. As Matt was essentially being proven more and more correct, and I realized I was angry because I was wrong. Well, there's a very quick way to fix that. Stop being wrong. So 
that led me towards, you know, figuring out what it was I believed in. And I ultimately settled, settled on libertarianism. And I actually, I went straight to saying, I'm not really even going to vote because I don't think the libertarian party has a chance. And um, I'm certainly not going to vote Republican or Democrat ever again. So I'm probably just not going to vote. And it was, um, it was in more recent years that I realized there was a usefulness to uh, having a libertarian political party, um, especially at the local level, but really at every level. And so I've been more active in that. But I've, I've always believed that the electoral part of it is far downstream of the culture. And the cultural component is far downstream of the philosophy and of the ideas behind it. And so what we do at You Are the Power is we help people that need help now instead of waiting for some distant utopian future where, you know, libertarians have taken over the world and are leaving everyone alone. We're, we're helping them now in the world we actually live in. But we're also, as in doing so and in bringing people and getting them organized around these things, we're demonstrating them the ideas behind the philosophy behind what we believe and why we believe it and why it works. And um, so that's, a you know, to me, an incredibly impactful thing. But yeah, that's that's sort of my come to liberty uh, story there in a nutshell. Spike, you are the power dot net. You highlight mm-hmm. different local incidents occurring all across the country. And as you said, now in other countries. You referenced one earlier uh, regarding a city with a food bank and that was in the wrong spot and then they were getting people in trouble who were trying to help the homeless by bringing the food from the yes. one location to the other side of the city. What has <laughs> been the story that you are the power.net has highlighted that has gained the most traction ever? In the history of you are the power.net, what is the one story? And, and, and if you could, if you fill us in, what was the story? Uh, honestly, the one I was just talking about, and it's really, it's every new cause we take on tends to become more viral than the next. Like wow. there's sort of this like direct trend line upwards from, from cause to cause. So honestly, our most viral one has been one of the more recent ones we've been working on, and that's in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and the, the long story short there is, is, you know, kind of an expanded version of what I had already said there. Uh, the city, uh, in, to their credit, the city government uh, does actually want to deal with the homelessness problem. I, I do believe them when they say that. I've dealt with other cities who their solution to the homeless problem is starve them out so they can die. Um, and um, and and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Like they literally just want them not to to be alive anymore. Um, in the case of Columbia, they I, I do think that the government uh, officials there actually do want to help. But that's also the problem because as we know, when government says I want to help, uh, that means central planning. And even if they have the best of intentions, which I do believe many of them do, they can't possibly know what everyone needs. And so they come up with a bad centrally planned idea that doesn't serve most people. In this case, almost no one is is really served by it. They waste millions, or in this case, tens of millions of taxpayer dollars in doing so. And then when it doesn't work, because their entire shtick is to create suffering or allow suffering and then and then grandstand off that suffering and then use it to get more money and power, uh, they can't admit they were wrong. So everyone else was wrong. It's everyone else is the problem. So now what they're doing is they're attacking the people who are going out and feeding homeless people where they are and help, trying to help get them on their feet and saying, oh, it's their fault. They're the problem. So they, so you know, now they're the the city council of, uh, of Columbia, South Carolina, uh, recently was threatening to... Um, to tell, uh, to to um, to fine or arrest people who were feeding homeless people. So we showed up. We started immediately announcing to the entire community and to the press, and we invited the the, the mayor and the city council and the police, the chief, the chief of police, and everyone else to come out while we, you know, essentially disobeyed their orders and fed people. Uh, oddly enough, when a bunch of us showed up, they didn't do anything about it. So then I went to the, we went to the city council, the next uh, city council meeting the following week to talk with them about it. And that uh, clip from that speech of me talking with them about it has gotten something north of six or seven million views combined on all of our social media. And that doesn't include all the other people who have reposted it and shared it or, you know, uploaded it on their own social media. It's probably in the tens of millions once you count that. And uh, the result of that, is that um, they then got the the city council members and the mayor got thousands, maybe even tens of thousands, we don't really know, but many, many, many angry emails and phone calls and text messages telling them, you know, don't do this and just let people help people. Why are you finding people for helping people who need help? 
Um, and uh, and so as a result, they're now claiming that they're uh, they're now claiming they're not going to do that anymore. That it was only a suggestion. That's great, uh, but we also know politicians often lie, and they hope that you know uh, political tides turn and they can go back to doing what they wanted to do. So we're doubling down on it. We're actually uh, not this coming Saturday, but the Saturday after that. The um, no, actually, the Saturday after that, uh, uh, September thirtieth, whatever Saturday that is, we're doing a walk uh, from one of the closer homeless camp homeless encampment locations to the place where they want people to be fed it's about roughly a mile walk through uh through the main city and through all the highways and everything else about roughly i think about an hour walk um and so we're going to do that walk and we've invited the mayor and the city council and the chief of police and everyone in town to come and join us uh so they can see what it is they're telling people that they have to do every day to get food um, and, uh, again, we picked one of the closer locations. Some of them are several miles away. You'd have to walk along highways and cross bridges and all sorts of nonsense to try to get there, walk through entire, uh, uh, suburb subdivisions and things like that just to get there. This is one of the closer ones. And it's still, you know, far too much to ask a lot of these people who are in, you know, wheelchairs and crutches or have, uh, you know, PTSD or addiction issues. It's, it's unsafe to try to get them to do this everywhere. And so we're doing that and uh, we're letting the media know. And, and this is the kind of stuff we do. We, we do um, things that we know are going to get attention in order to get attention to that cause. But behind it is our underlying message, which is that if the government would simply respect people as individuals and understand that they can't possibly centrally plan a solution for all of us and just let us work it out for ourselves and with each other voluntarily, then we wouldn't need them as much and things would be better all over. And that's, that's what we're doing. Okay. Um, so consistent with the theme of the interview, we'll do a little bit of local, a little bit of national, maybe even international sure, sure, sure. in this case. Since I've had my epiphany, I have learned more about the horrible atrocities of war. Not very difficult to learn about once your eyes are opened. Um, right. So my wife and I, you know, we're just watching all sorts. I mean, just learning about Vietnam or, you know, every war and how horrible they all are. So foreign policy, of course, is a fascinating topic. When follow, mm -hmm. following the Republican and Democratic uh, presidential process, RFK Jr., of course, has gotten a lot of attention. And I was intrigued with his foreign policy at certain points. He was speaking against the Ukraine war. He had some good rhetoric, it sounded like, anti-war type stuff. Um, but yeah. my question for you, Spike, as a Jewish man <laughs> and my friend and someone who I trust your answer on this, why then did he, RFK Jr., have to like start going to Israeli parades and I saw him waving a flag and <laughs> what is that? I mean, how, what is yeah. the connection there? How's that work with foreign policy? Why does he have to do that? I honestly, I don't think it's a has to do it thing. I think RFK is a hardcore old school Democrat and, uh, and, and with the good and bad that comes from that. I mean, it's why he's, you know, kind of a strong, uh, you know, pretty fairly strong believer in freedom of speech and things like that. So there's good that comes from it. Uh, but Democrats have always been, you know, very strong supporters of the of the Israeli state. Uh, and he even when he was talked about when he was asked about this, um, he did an interview with a um, with a rabbi, I believe. And he was talking about his father, uh, RFK, and, and, you know, his undying support for Israel as well. Um, and um, and I think it's as simple as that. I think it's sort of this sort of doctrinaire like I'm a, I'm a Democrat. And and so I support Israel. Um, it it ought, it mo, for the most part flies in the face of his stated foreign policy um, because Israel is a uh, basically an extension of the U.S. military industrial complex. Um, it's not for nothing that Iran. We're told Iran hates Jewish people and wants them all to die, and that's not only is that not true, but even when it comes to Israel, they call Israel the little Satan, but they call the U.S. the big Satan. And so it really is like a lot of the the even a lot of the Middle Eastern hatred of Israel is because of its ties to the U.S. military industrial complex. Not to mention, obviously, their treatment of the Palestinians and all of that. Um, you know, I would echo what my my friend Scott Horton said when he uh, tried to address this uh, and tried to reach out to RFK about this. He said, you know, if you want to remain pro-Israel but also recognize 
the problems with Israeli policy, especially when it comes to the Palestinians, uh, you know, the best olive branch you could give is to say that the Israelis have to decide what the Palestinians are to them. Because right now, Israel has this really, and when I say Israel, I mean the, the Israeli government. I'm not talking about Israeli civilians or the, you know, it's, it's, it's like when I talk about the U.S. military industrial complex, I'm not, name, I'm not blaming you or me, even though we're Americans, I'm talking about the U.S. government. So in this case, it's the same thing. I'm talking about the, the Israeli um, government. They need to decide is Israel is are are the pal the they treat the Palestinians they'll say well the Palestinians are their own people they're not Israelis so they can't vote okay so then they but then they treat them as though Palestine is essentially just a protectorate or a territory of Israel with the with the uh, the settlements that they're doing in um, in the West Bank and things like that in territory that was agreed to in previous agreements to be Palestinian territory for a future or current Palestinian state. And so, you know, they kind of do it out of, you know, both ends. They'll say, well, uh, you know, you know, they, they can't be part of Israel, but also their land is part of Israel. And so what Scott Horton said is, you know, to, to RFK, if you want to still present yourself as a friend of Israel and an ally of Israel, then you can simply, you know, say to the Netanyahu um, uh, administration or government that they need to make one of two choices. They need to decide that Palestinians are Israelis, which means that they have the right of return, that, that Jews have, that they have the ability to vote, just like Israelis do uh, in, in Israeli elections. Um, that they would get all of the rights conferred to them that any other Israeli would have. Or they have to decide, no, they're not Israeli. They are their own sovereign people, in which case you need to respect the treaties and and stop with the the building of the settlements. And I that, that's the same thing I would say. I, I would say to you know RFK or to anyone else who considers himself an ally of uh, of the Israeli government, okay, great. Well, then, you know, have them say what, what you know encourage them to say what exactly the palestinians are to them are they are they part of the israeli state as they often act and if so why are they not being given the same rights as israelis and if they're not and they're their own people then why are they not being treated uh you know with respect that way so scott horton tried to reach out to rfk about that he yeah so he he did a like a public tweet um to rfk and also i think tried to reach out I, he knows um his name is escaping me. RFK's uh, Dennis Kucinich, RFK's um, campaign manager, um, who I believe Scott is uh, knows as well. And uh, yeah, I, I I would echo every bit of Scott's words on that subject. So sticking with the the foreign policy theme, of course, looking at the Democratic side, RFK has some good mm-hmm. rhetoric, being anti the Ukrainian war, uh, you know, endless funding to that war. Um, On the Republican side, Vivek Ramaswamy has been the most anti-war Republican over the course of that first uh, Republican debate. He was the one who said, get all of the troops out immediately. He was pretty extreme on that. But then later, and this is a good exercise for me to be learning because I'm like, oh, wow, I guess guess that means Vivek is anti-war, right? Well, it turns out as... So commonly happens if the Republicans <laughs> are trying to get in office, they're anti the war yep. that the Democrats support, the Ukrainian war. Mm-hmm. But then the, the, yep. the war, the pending war, the possibility of a war or the threats of war that the Republicans might support when it comes to, in this case, Taiwan, Vivek doesn't have so great of an anti-war stance. What are your thoughts on Vivek Ramaswamy from a foreign policy perspective? Yeah, I mean, he has on the Republican side said the best things overall. Um, but like you said, then there's there's you know significant backtrack at times. Um, it, this is the important thing for the what I will call the recalcitrant Republican turn uh, libertarians inside of many of us. Wait a second, who could, will I'm sorry. Often, could, could you say that again? I'm sorry. Could you? What was the word you said? The re, what was it? Oh, the recalcitrant. So very often, a lot of libertarians. Um, Keep in mind, the Libertarian Party was started by a bunch of Republicans who their 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 final straw was Nixon 
ending Bretton Woods and taking us off the gold standard. So we have a very long history of being primarily made up, not entirely, but primarily or, or, or the biggest single group within us is for, you and me, former Republicans who just said, you know what, I frankly, I was never you know, as Republican as these other people, I, I I was probably always leaning this way. And frankly, the Republican Party left me, you know, even to whatever extent I agree with them, they left me. And so we're sort of these, I guess, recalcitrant Republicans who okay. we sort of are like, you know, we if for, it takes a long time for us not to fall in love during the primary season, I guess is the point I'm making, where if there are some good Republicans that are saying good stuff, we're like, yeah, yes. You know, when Ted Cruz is running and says he's going to, you know, eliminate most of the agencies, we're like, hell yeah, whatever. And then as the process wears on or, you know, once whoever gets nominated starts backtracking or if they actually get elected, they don't do any of the stuff they said they do. All of a sudden we're like, yeah, that's why we're not Republican anymore. Like it, it's, it's sort of that thing. And so I, I'm always interested to watch that process, especially with newer libertarians who will be like so excited that, did you hear what Ron DeSantis said about such and such? I'm like, yeah, no, that sounded good. Did you hear what Trump said about this? Yeah. Did you hear what Vivek said about this? Like, yeah, absolutely. And then like, you know, fast forward, however, you know, longer when they either backtrack or say the opposite or whatever. And they're like, man, I guess they're just like everyone else. And it, it, it really is. I, I think to get up to any level, um, in the Republican or Democrat parties, um, you really have to uh, talk out of both sides of your mouth to some extent. And uh, and that doesn't mean that you can't applaud them when they say the right thing. In fact, I think you should applaud them when they say the right thing because they're certainly getting applauded when they say the wrong thing. But it, it does mean that there has to be some perspective there. I mean, you know, it's not for nothing that even at the congressional level, which is kind of a, a you know the, the House of Representatives level, which is a step below the Senate level, which is obviously a, a considerable step below the White House in terms of power. You really just have Thomas Massey there that is like a consistent liberty voice. And I'm sure I could nitpick things that I disagree with him on or whatever. I wasn't a fan of the the debt deal he signed on to. I understand why he did it or whatever. But but even on that thing that I I, I don't think I would have voted that way the way he did, I at least understand his perspective and understand it within the context of you know his overall goals there. And on just about everything else, I'm like, hell yeah, that's exactly what I would have done too. We're pretty close to it. And you know, it's not for nothing that out of 435 members, we got one of them. And, you know, uh, in 2020, we had two of them, you know, with Thomas Massey and, and Justin Amash before he he resigned um, or, or didn't seek reelection. So, you know, I, I always have my expectations dialed down for this stuff, but I absolutely enjoy it. And what I've liked about Vivek is, um, first of all, he's not, you know, a thousand years old, which is really great. Um, in fact, I think he's younger than me. I think he's younger than, isn't he? Is this, he's in his late 30s, right? Or I is think he he's 30, 38 years old, yes. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. That's how old I was in 2020. I love it. Um, so I like that. I, I like that, you know, he's not like extremely old. And, um, and you know, a lot of things he's been saying are good. Then he'll say something like, um, you know, if you want to vote, you should have to take the same test that immigrants take. And I'm like, if you put government in charge of saying what you have to know in order to vote, you don't think that's going to blow up in all of our faces, right? Like, you know, it's like, it's just little impulses like that, that they'll get where I'm like, or, or he recently was talking about how, uh, there should be, a, um, I don't know if it was a requirement, but he was talking about, uh, your SAT score should include how fast you can run or something like that. And I'm like, what are, what? And, and so like things like that, it seems like there's a little bit of a central planner impulse there. Um, but, uh, I mean, overall he's, he's been pretty good on things. He's also, you know, been very happy to talk with libertarian audiences about stuff. And so is RFK. Here's my hang up with RFK. And it's one that I, I'm not going to be able to shake. You know, you can look at the fact that he, you know, had had shared stuff talking about abolishing the second amendment a few years ago and he's now said he's evolved on that you know and and I'm, I'm not sure if i believe that but here's the real hang up with me in 2020 i was going around this country running for vice president going from city to city county to county state to state i visited 35 states in, in total and i met i can't even tell you how many people whose lives were being destroyed by the covid regime orders in in red states blue states you know and and everything in between and they were saying, you know, my kids aren't getting a good education. I've lost my job. 
I'd go to towns that were ghost towns that you know, everything was closed. And I'd say, wow, you still have the lockdowns here? And they go, no, everything just nothing. Everything went out of business during the lockdown. So even though it reopened, it didn't matter. And, you know, I'm going around and I'm doing these uh, events very often in open defiance of the lockdowns and COVID regime orders across the country. And RFK was on Twitter saying that the lockdown should be extended because they're good for the environment. And if at some point he had some, you know, come to Jesus moment and realized that he was wrong there, great. You know, I, I once supported global war and empire. People can change. I've yet to hear RFK explain how he quickly went from the lockdowns were not only good for COVID, but they were good for the environment and we should do more of them or extend them. How he went from that to, I don't trust any of this and, you know, Fauci should go to prison and, you know, we'll never have a lockdown again and, and the, the government shouldn't have this much power. If he had some, you know, great moment, fantastic. But he hasn't explained that. He just suddenly is that. And that sounds like a politician. And I, I, you know, I jokingly said when someone asked me about it, I said, well, listen, all I know is when a Democrat named Kennedy uh, says different things to different audiences and, uh, and, and, you know, and based on what they believe, I know that whatever he's telling me and my audience is the truth. <laughs> That's the easiest way to believe it, right? Just go with whatever. Yes. Whatever he says, just if go it sounds it. good right now, let's just roll with it. Yeah, I agree, Spike. The more that I hear from RFK Jr., which I have listened to more podcast interviews with that guy than anyone uh, since yeah. he's announced he was running for president. I think the first one I listened to was on Jimmy Dore, and that was a while ago, and he talked about maybe running, and then I've listened to a bunch of them. But it does sound like ultimately he is very smart, He's pointing about he is pointing out a lot of corruption, so he knows what he's doing. However, his solution to every single problem appears <laughs> to be just get his buddies in there to run it. Yes. <laughs> and, and that yeah. and that, that that sounds like anybody. You get anybody in there, they're like, Oh yeah, I'll put my friends in. It'll all be uh, corruption free now. Good government. And th this is so this is why I could never get behind Trump. Because he would say the people that are in charge are idiots and they're doing it wrong or whatever. And then he'd say, I'm going to put the right people in there. <laughs> now, putting aside the fact that he has a history of putting, you know, the quote unquote right people in and then, you know, hating them however many months later and blaming them for everything. But even if he had a history of, you know, finding good people to do stuff, you cannot centrally plan the United States of America. And, and, and you certainly can't centrally plan, you know, future solutions for problems that don't even exist yet. And COVID is a perfect example of that. In order to protect us from viruses, they commissioned the creation of viruses. And then when it looked like it very possibly, we don't have the smoking gun yet, but we certainly have the smell of smoke, the very likely possibility that not, that one of the viruses that Echo Health Alliance under the contract with the National Institutes of Health that they created ended up being the, the virus that creates, that causes COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. You know, the suggestion of that was labeled racist and derogatory. And, you know, you get, and they would, they were colluding with the uh, social media to kick you off of the internet if you were to even suggest such a thing. And so it's just, this is what central planning looks like for everything. So when Trump would say, you know, I'm going to end, uh, I'm going to end the, the, the national debt, but also I'm not going to touch social security. Well, that's one of those is true. And, and, and one of those isn't, and, you know, it was true that he didn't touch social security, but he absolutely didn't end the debt, uh, the, the national debt. He increased it by almost as much as Obama did. And it took Obama eight years to do it. And Trump did it in four years. And, and that's, you know, it, it's not about Trump. It's not about RFK. It's not about Joe Biden. It's not about any of these, you know, individual politicians. And frankly, it's not about the Republican or Democratic parties. It's about the impulse or the belief that government or, or rather the human beings that that call themselves government, that operate within the government, can somehow centrally plan everything despite every bit of human history of evidence to the contrary. And, and that's... That's the core to me. You know, long before I decided to get involved with the Libertarian Party, I gave up on the Republicans and Democrats because I largely gave up on the idea that politicians were going to fix any of this. They can't. 
even if they had the even if they knew the solutions, they still can't implement it as well as simply respecting people as individuals and allowing them to work themselves and voluntarily work together to solve problems and create solutions and and you know innovate and and do what we do as human beings. Government's never going to be able to do that. Very well said. As I, I've said many times, Spike, you articulate the the messaging for the libertarian, anarcho-libertarian stance. You do it very well, and you seem to do it, I've said it before to you and off-air too, that you do it in a way that almost unite, seems to unite the libertarians. And, and what I mean by that is anyone who does follow the libertarian party at all, even if you're brand new, you'll quickly learn there's always a lot of infighting. But Spike, <laughs> you, you, you seem for the most part to be, I'm not going to say you don't ever, you're never involved in anything. I don't know of any bickering or drama that you're involved in. Maybe it exists. Yeah, yeah. But is that important to you to, regardless, even if you don't run, to figure out, okay, still we're supporting this and this is who we are. We're all hopefully somewhat on a team. How important is it for you to have a united liberty movement? It's important to me to have as harmonious a libertarian movement, a liberty movement as possible. The problem with, and I used to use the term unity and united as well, and, and I realized that um, the idea, you might be able to unite all or most libertarians around an effort or a specific cause or a specific candidate or campaign or something like that. But the idea long-term that you're going to unite a group of people who are uniquely, um, you know, go it alone, or I shouldn't say go it alone, but uniquely don't tell me how to do things type of people, more so than just the general public even, that's like that central planning impulse we were just talking about on steroids. Not only are we going to centrally plan libertarianism, but we're going to centrally plan libertarianism with a bunch of people who don't want to be centrally planned or told what to do, almost reflexively. Um, so I, I've I've said to anyone who will listen, you can't centrally plan liberty. You can come up with a vision for what you want to do, and if you make it compelling enough that you can get others to join you, then you can do something there. You can create a movement and bring and bring people uh, into the the libertarian fold that way, and and accomplish whatever goals you have along the way. But you know, I'm never going to unite all or even probably most libertarians. Um, it, it's 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 not how it I, I get, it's not how it works. Basically, um, I think what we can do though is double down on our way of looking at things when we're talking about how we deal with each other. And by that, I mean, if your vision for how to do liberty is different than mine, then the best thing I can do is tell you why I think mine is a good way and invite you to join me if you like, and then, you know, keep an eye on you and see what you're doing to see if there's anything I can learn from that. And, and you can invite you to do the same with me so you can see what I'm doing, but not try to tell you you're not a real libertarian or you're not doing it right, or that's doomed to fail or, or whatever. Um, and, and, and especially not trying to fight with each other constantly on how to do it. It's not a useful, uh, use of time. And I, I think the reason we do it is because it's a coping mechanism. I can't control what's happening in the United States government. And I can't control what's happening on the world stage. And I can't even really control what's happening politically at the state level. But I can control like yelling at you about something. <laughs> and so, and, and we even see that in the Libertarian Party. You know, I, I can't win the race for president and I'm, I can't win the race for governor, but I can win the race for like treasurer of my state party or you know the 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 you know assistant secretary of the whatever whatever like some internal race in the party and engage in the same tactics politically that I would in a in an actual like you know in a general election race in that race but all I'm doing is attacking other libertarians and so I just I think we need to kind of give up that idea of we're going to unite libertarians and and I I understand you probably in saying unite meant just us get along better and, and try to get things accomplished. But I think even there, 
our conceit is that we think there's a way or even a small handful of ways to do it. I think there's likely so many different ways we won't ever even fully know all of them. And in the same way that we can't, we, we don't want government to try to centrally plan our lives. I don't think we should be trying to centrally plan this movement. I think that we should be trying our own thing and inviting others to join us and understanding that there are going to be other people that are going to do their own thing. And I think that's a, a, um, a secret to my ability to stay out of a lot of these arguments and to have so many people who like me um, is that I'm not going to argue with people who are doing liberty in a way that I don't really necessarily think is the most useful way because A, I'm busy doing my thing. B, my telling them I disagree with them isn't going to change anything. And C, maybe I'm wrong and they're right. Let's find out. Let's see what happens. So that's my approach to it. I love it. Very well put as always. Spike Cohen, I really appreciate your time today. You are the power.net. Of course, you Google search or get on Instagram or Facebook or anything and search for Spike Cohen. He's very easy to find everywhere. Spike, very, thank you very much for your time. Absolutely, Kelly. I'm happy to be on. I look forward to my, my 10th appearance, which is probably coming anytime soon now. I love it. Me too. Thank you very much. I also want to thank awesome. everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.